I think we did a lot of things right in the weight room. The big thing is when you microdose, you never ruin the next day. And, and, and that is so important to feed the cats is that nothing we do today can ruin tomorrow's workout. If tomorrow's important, you cannot burn the steak today. You just cannot do it. That was Hall of Fame track and field coach Tony Holler speaking on microdosing, track and field, the weight room, and performance. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Simply Faster. Simply Faster is an online athletic performance technology shop distributing items such as the free lap timing system, Gym Aware, KBox, 1080 Sprint, and the Speed Mat. I've gotten many of these items from Simply Faster and can confidently say that they make today's best training technology available to everybody. The free lap timing system has revolutionized both my practices and my athlete assessments, allowing me to look at the 10 meter fly capability of dozens of athletes in a matter of seconds. It is wireless, compact, portable, and incredibly versatile. The K-Box and 1080 Sprint are fantastic tools for any coach looking to build speed, agility, and implement training scenarios that go beyond the traditional weight room. The 1080 Sprint is being used by great coaches, training some of the fastest sprinters in the world, and it truly represents high-performance speed training. I can personally attest that Simply Faster's customer service is second to none. Christopher at Simply Faster responds quickly to queries, and anyone who makes a purchase from Simply Faster is in good hands. If you want to acquire some of the best high-tech training equipment available, stop by simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. They are the future of coaching technology. Welcome to another episode of the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Thanks for being here today. I'm your host, Joel Smith. Today, we welcome back on the show, Tony Holler. He is a Hall of Fame track and field coach from Plainfield North High School, who I first met at Track Football Consortium, which you don't want to say about five years ago. And uh, Tony's Feed the Cat system for his high school sprinters is sweeping the country. It is a absolute breath of fresh air to the otherwise somewhat um well, i shouldn't say somewhat the stagnant eight by 200 uh over over distance type mentality that really tends to make kids honestly make kids hate track and field like um my uh my junior year of high school i it rings near and dear to me just because uh, my junior year of high school was that i i remember we even got punished with a 16 by 200 in the street like the sprinters and jumpers not distance like sprinters and jumpers because we um were screwing around for like a photo shoot or something and <laughs> and uh, yeah that was rough a lot of people just left like they just drove away and i was like i did it but i didn't jump very well that year needless to say um in the typical there was like eight or ten two hundreds is crazy and the next year we didn't do that stuff and I, I started doing hurdling which i think turned out really well for me because doing the short hurdling workouts I, I think i got out of doing some of that longer stuff that really wasn't feeding my system and i jumped like four or five inches higher and, and did better in everything so tony's work is just absolutely uh, I mean, it, he's not certainly not the first person to advocate for a low volume system, but his total system, the philosophy behind it is really changing the game for so many people. And, and I think with anything like, you know, Bruce Lee, right? Like it was it, it was the philosophy that made not only the training great, but the overall system and and feed the cats. Uh, so really quickly too, before we get into the episode, if you missed 61, definitely listen to it. Uh, but just really revolves around low dose, high speed, high velocity, maximal sprint training 
lots of rest, um, not you know spending forever at practice, making track fun, making it competitive, taking kids' times, ranking, recording, and publishing it on Twitter and social media. A highly motivating system uh, that is it's something that is just really something special. Um, so uh, training is much more than X's and O's. A environment is huge. And the training environment is something that is a huge theme of our talk today. Tony's going to talk about uh, the feed the cats and stimulating dopamine. He's going to give some anecdotes on, on rest and training high jumpers and team sport. And, uh, and just a lot of things are really put together to show why the feed the cat system is so powerful. Uh, one recent development, and this was a big um, thing that got me just thinking, and, and one thing we're going to focus on in the show today is Tony's going to talk about his experience with the bigger, faster, stronger strength training system, which is awesome because a lot of people uh, will look at Tony, at, who is outspoken in terms of, of sprinters and weightlifting many times, and, and think that Tony hasn't like been administering or been through a weightlifting program and so he's going to chat about that and and how it got him started on like the rank record published and power of prs and and all these universal things where i think that regardless if it's the weight room or the track or whatever you're doing or or team sport coaching coaching basketball or football all this stuff all ties together so uh topics today really quick i guess traditional topics he's going to chat about uh tony's going to chat about recent lessons he's gained from uh marcellus moore who has run 1031 and 100 meters as a sophomore, one of the best sprinters in the nation, what it's like to train a phenom. He's gonna talk about how kids, um, how when kids do what they like instead of what they're forced to do, it is an absolute game changer, such a transferable element to not only track, but all elements of life. Uh, he's gonna chat a little bit about uh, bigger, faster, stronger, as I mentioned. He's gonna talk about uh, his speed cycle, recent speed cycle and training that was inspired by bigger, faster, stronger. He's going to talk about just the importance of stimulating dopamine through um, avoiding and, or avoiding those situations where athletes will take a dopamine hit and keeping that up throughout the week. And finally, we'll chat about a little bit about X-Factor training and what's been new with that and what's how that fits into Tony's total system. Before we get started, also, Tony has a new DVD out uh, that is selling on Championship Productions. And it is called Feed the Cats, a complete sprint, sprint training program. So definitely head on over there and check that out. So that being said, let's get on to episode 135 of the Just Fly Performance podcast with Coach Tony Holler. All right. So, um, so Tony, if you if you could coach any sport besides track, and I guess you've coached you know, football, you coached it all, right? Like, but if someone said you couldn't coach track right now and you can't retire from coaching, is there a, a sport that you intrigues you that you'd be like, hey, maybe I want to try my hand at this? Seems fun. Well, it's weird that as I've gone on in my career, I've been at it for 38 years, and I'm hardly a sports fan at all now. It's really weird. The only sport that captures my attention is football on TV. And, you know, I love college football and professional football, but I used to be a big baseball fan, and, and I can't sit through a game anymore. Um, I haven't been to an NBA game in five years, and I don't know if I ever will go to one. I'm just... Uh, and basketball was my life uh, growing up and everything. So, uh, you know, I don't even like track on TV a whole lot. I, I love the coaching and performance level stuff, but I'm just not much of a fan. Like, you'll never see me in a Chicago Bears jersey. Now, as in coaching, I, I have a little bit of an interest. If, if, if somebody would offer me the keys to the car and let me totally run an offense and not tell me what to run and when to run it, and let me do the whole damn thing, which like no head coach ever 
gives away the keys to the car. I think I would love to be an offensive coordinator at a, in a good program. Um, and then I've actually had an urge, you know, uh, I put so much into basketball. I was a head basketball coach for eight years in my 20s. And, uh, you know, I there's part of me that when I see how bad basketball is right now, it's such a dribble, dribble, shoot game that um, I would love to go back and, 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 and coach a talented team someday. But once again, you know, you don't just walk back into being a head basketball coach. But I still, deep down, I still love both those sports. Yeah, I would I would love to see what you would do with, um, there was an article on you know, Simply Faster, maybe back when it was Free Lap USA about the speed-based football and bust out the free lap for the different routes and things like that. Uh, yeah. I imagine that'd be a huge part of what you would do then. Uh, I would I would feed the cats. And it's interesting. I, I, I've written four uh, Feed the Cats football articles, and they were really well received. And, and I know coaches in multiple states that are now literally saying they feed the cats, that they prioritize speed, number one, prioritize rest, number two, which are the two really deep down, the two fundamentals of feed the cats. And, uh, you know, they do things like uh, they don't run between drills anymore because they want to do the drill fast. And it's so hard for them because football coaches are such psychos about, you know, running between drills or after a route, you sprint back to the, you know, that military discipline. But, you know, uh, I love that, that the whole thing uh, with the Feed the Cats. And also I've written a basketball article about Feed the Cats where you record rank and publish more to make shooting more important and you shorten practices and you try to play really fast in 20 second segments then you go get a drink and then you come back and do it again instead of just this constant motion. And, uh, so yeah, I, I, I would love to implement all those things. Yeah. I would have loved to have rank record and published back when I was a high school basketball player, uh, just because <laughs> I would have just lit up. I mean, I was so just competitive and just driven by, you know, stats and figures, always researching things. It would have been, that would have been fantastic. I, um, yeah, I'm the boat with you too, with the, like not watching sports. I mean, I, I stopped watching, I feel like, when I was in my early 20s, and I don't know why. I just maybe just got obsessed with other things or gained a tunnel vision for just the performance and the coaching end, right? But, like, I went to an NBA game, um, and I, I don't watch NBA on TV, except for, like, to just to watch athletes move. <laughs> um, but I went to the Bucks against the Pelicans or something. I took my dad and my brother. It was Christmas, uh, and, you know, we hadn't – it was kind of like – it's just kind of out with the guys. I was like, oh, this would be fun. And I go and I literally like, I'm like, what is this? Like, it's just like, you got seven, two guys jacking up threes. Like everyone's just shooting. There's no teamwork. I was like, this is like, this is like someone's playing a video game and everyone turned the three point shooting up to 99. And like the, the guy can't make a three, can make a three. I'm like, I don't even know what I'm watching. Yeah. It was a trip. Yep. Yeah. It's crazy. It, uh, yeah. But football still is great on TV for me. You know, that's the only thing I like. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't mind. If, if something's on, I like watching it. But, uh, yeah, I don't like – I don't necessarily drive to it. But, yeah, performance is awesome, and um, that's what we're talking about today. So I, I'm, I'm excited to get you back on the show, Tony. Man, last time was cool. Every time I see a TFC, uh, it just it's really it motivates me with what you're doing. It's a breath of fresh air in the industry. And so uh, let's, let's get on with these uh, typical questions, I guess you could say. But, uh, you know, you were on about a year and a half ago. We are talking a little bit about Marcellus and – you know, working with such a phenom, uh, you're talking about how, you know, he runs anything but loose and, uh, you know, how you're learning from him. But, um, ever since then, is there any lessons, uh, lessons you've picked up things you're noticing in his training, training an elite young sprinter or, and yeah, yeah. He, uh, you know, he just turned 16 and he's, uh, uh he set the state record last year, 10:31 in the, uh, 
in the 100 meters, and we set the state record in the four by one. We swept the sprints with him, and he was only 15 years old, five six, one fifty with braces. So he's definitely a phenom. And I always tell people that he was a phenom a long time before he met his first good coach. I mean, uh, he uh, those those people are born. Now, having said that. You know, I meant, I remember telling you how herky-jerky he was, and he was kind of a, a violent runner. And, you know, he's really gotten smoother. Uh, he's much more consistent. His top speed is just barely improved, but he holds it so effortlessly now. And that's why we think he'll run a 46 this year in the 400, wow. and he'll win that event the state meet as well. Um, we've, he stayed, he's the happiest kid I've ever coached, and maybe the healthiest. Uh, he has not missed a single race in two years due to a soft tissue injury or, you know, my hamstring sore or anything like that. And that's like 36 high school meets. We did take him out at 200 once because he was going to have to run into a 40 mile an hour wind. And, and I didn't want to see that and he didn't want to run it. So that's the only race he's missed in like 36 meets. Uh, one, he has incredible ankles and feet, which... Corfus, Chris Corfus talks about all the time, and I'm starting to understand it more and more. He has incredible stiffness. Um, he is the opposite of a flexible kid, but his ankle stiffness is amazing, and you can just draw straight lines down his lateral chain. Um, he is CNS-driven 100%. I, I think he has one of the most elite nervous systems I've ever seen. Um, he runs more like Michael Johnson than Carl Lewis. Uh, his turnover rate's fantastic. Not exactly a poser for pictures, you know, with the high knee stuff like Carl was. But um, I tell him all the time, it's funny, but, you know, pretty much, I'm like maybe once a month. I say, Marcellus, you realize that trees do not grow all the way to heaven and that you are going to plateau someday. And it just has, has not happened. Uh, you know, he goes out uh, in the uh, first meet, and runs at 21-23 to win the 200 indoors at Texas A&M. Uh, and then the next week, he runs at 6.75 in the 60, which is uh, U.S. number one uh, in high school. And uh, he just keeps shocking me with his performances. And like I say, he's just such a happy and healthy kid. Um, you know, it's just, uh, I can't believe I get another two, two years with him. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I I think that the fact that he stayed healthy, right, is such a testament to that feed the cats and the rest system. Like especially someone who's so explosive, because it's I think it's you know pretty well known in regard the most explosive athletes are the most injury prone because they're so it's so easy for them to blow themselves up. You know, it's sure. like it's like how many fourteen second hundred meter runners are gonna blow their hamstring? They're too slow. You know, once you have that machinery that's going so fast and watching Marcellus hawk that guy down on that four by one video, I'll try to post was just, I, I watched that so many times. It's <laughs> just fun. Yeah. It looks like a cartoon. Yeah. And what's crazy is the guy that he hawked uh, ran an FAT 11.03. 11.03, and Marcellus made it look like a cartoon. It yeah. was uh, just amazing. And, yeah, to think a kid could be that good. You know, and I, I think his size and his smile and all that stuff, He's just such a darling of the entire state of Illinois. People just love the kid. So we're really lucky. And a lot of, I would say most of the time, phenoms are the hardest people to coach. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think Marcellus is tied with maybe 10 other kids I've coached as being my favorite kid. 
So I'm pretty lucky. Yeah. I, you know, you were saying too with the Marcellus's feet and the fact that he doesn't have high knee lift, it, it seeming to be more and more the more I watch people is that the, having that really stiff ankle and the ability to kind of pop off the ground and get back down almost like, it's like you don't want the high knee lift in that situation because you just want to turn over and to like force something, I guess, else on him wouldn't probably wouldn't work so well. Or like the Carl Lewis yeah. pose, right? Yeah, if you don't, if you don't, you know, hit the ground with a big hammer uh, like the Carl Lewis did, then you better have great turnover which Marcellus has. His turnover is amazing. Yeah, right on. And, uh, I mean, do you feel like the Feed the Cat system, too, like in terms of coaching that Phenom, Phenom's, you know, being not, like you said, not so easy to coach perhaps, like I suppose a higher volume, like a really rigid system probably wouldn't fit well with a lot of phenomenal athletes and phenomenal spirits. Not even from a physical, but even a mental or psychological perspective. No, and, and, you know, as you know, I'm very careful not to take credit for anything Marcellus does. Uh, but, but in my mind, if he was in a Clyde Hart system, he'd be running 1060s right now. Uh, I mean, he'd be running 2165 in the 200, and the coach would be taking a lot of credit for his great times. But you know, he ran 20.88 for me last year in the 200, and um, I, I believe you know I get the question a lot, like like what if you were coaching like college kids, uh, you would up the volume then, wouldn't you? And I'm like, hell no. Uh, feed the cats would be fabulous for elite sprinters. And not only that, um, I'm not plugging myself for a college job here, but um, but if, if it got out to the greatest sprinters in the nation, um, the way I would coach them, they would come to my school because the training is makes sense, significant, and they would have fun doing it, and they'd stay health, healthy and happy. And I just don't see many college programs that do that. Yeah, and it's I feel like it's like the fun thing that's so big. I'm really just my mind's continually resonating. I had Jeremy Frisch on last week, just talking about kids playing, giving fun, putting fun into training, and and I can't you know think of too many things more fun for high schoolers who are doing track than the rank record and published system, and and even like elite athletes of any level, like guys who are like way up in the NBA, MLB, like a lot of them aren't the hugest fans, to my knowledge, of like training hard, you know, like that rigid, like like lifting the heaviest weight, grinding, like they want to have fun. Like talking with Milan Jovanovic too about the soccer players in Europe, like they they, they want to compete and have fun, you know, like those elite yeah. elite phenomenal players. And it just seems like Feed the Cats reciprocates that so well. It makes the art of speed a fun process. Yeah, and I, I think I think I love the way you talk about fun, but mixed in compete. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people see fun as like, knee slapping, joking around fun. And, um, and the, what I found with, with sprinters and cats is that they're not a whole lot of fun to coach sometimes mm-hmm. and their personalities are high strung and emotional sometimes, but, but they're really, really, really competitive and, and they have fun racing somebody or they have fun running the fastest 10 meter fly they've ever run. Uh, they have fun talking about how fast they are and, and having the numbers to back it up. So, uh, so when we talk about having fun, that does not mean we're a loose group. We're, we're actually having fun doing what matters. Yeah. It makes me think about like, well, someone who's like a non-cat, I guess you could say, like someone who's kind of like that, maybe 400, 800 type that's in the sprints, I guess, or whatever, or I mean, and I'm sure it works, you know, definitely you've, I've, I've uh, seen like, um, Joe O'Malley's you know, articles and things like that. And they're really good. Um, but it's like, 
for an athlete whose idea of fun oh, i don't know is like running eight two hundreds ever fun like at what point does it at what point does that become fun or like i don't know if you think running like two six hundreds really fast if you know for the well you're a cat though yeah, joe yeah you're a cat you're not you know distance runners are dogs and you know not in a bad way i mean i love dogs i mean they're loyal they're workers uh They'll, they'll run three miles and then say, now what? And, you know, cats don't run three miles. And they don't say, now what, either. Yeah. I mean, one, they would like to get out of practice as soon as possible. They're not looking to see how much they can do. Uh, they're looking to compete and go home. So yeah, I, I think it's just a difference in kids. And I think, I think some kids really do appreciate, it's hard for me and you to understand, going out and running intervals and, you know, running 70-mile weeks. And, you know, good for them. And boy, it takes both types of kid to have a good track team. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there are people that, that yeah, that that is fun for. And I, I like if I had people to run it with, I, the, comp- the competition would get to me, you know, and, and I'd be like, OK, OK. But if I had to do eight by two by myself, oh, no, like, oh, like, it's the worst thing in the world. And at all, like if I do it now, like I put hurdles out, like randomly spaced in the way just to have something to jump over. And like, <laughs> you know, that's that I could do it, you know, but it's um, like oh, that. The typical. It's just, just mentally. It's almost like if you're not having fun, you're not releasing dopamine, and you you know you're not stimulating the nervous system the way that a cat. And I, and I say all the time as a as a critique of of how stupid modern education is now, where it's so curriculum driven, is that kids are really really good at what they like. Yeah. I mean, they are. You know, when they say kids these days, they cheat. They blah blah blah. Well, they wouldn't cheat if they liked what they did. Yeah. Uh, they really wouldn't. I mean, if, if, if they see stuff as meaningful and significant, I mean, kids will read books like crazy if they get to choose the book. But if you make them read Grapes of Wrath, they will hate it. You're, you're right. talking to so, yeah. You're talking to my soul, Tony. You're, you're talking. I wish you were my teacher in high school. I, I mean, like that was me. I basically did. And I'll say it like, you know, I, I don't care. I'll say it as I did the bare minimum amount of work just to get a B, you know, all through high school, all through college. Oh, I, I didn't do that good in high school. I just did what I felt I could do to get into college all through grad school, pretty much. And I read like hell all the stuff I wanted to read outside of that sure. in terms of sports performance and sports training and all that stuff. And 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 even now, too, like I, I'm a huge reader now, but it's all stuff I like, you know, it's all stuff. I yeah. Like, yeah matters and and if we start flipping the switch would be so easy we just have to fire all the experts you know all the administrators making big money because you make the the further away you get from kids and education the more money you make so we'd have to change all that but if we started making trying to make school good for kids where they would want to go to a chemistry class all of a sudden everything would change and it's the same thing in sports. You know, if, if, if we make, make practice significant and, and fun and competitive and something to look forward to, they're going to be better. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool how you're drawing that parallel too. Because I, I mean, I don't, I don't think about education that much. I, I think I will when my daughter goes to school and it's like, okay, sure. now, like, now it's going to happen. You know, but... but I always love like drawing the parallels between because I think sometimes you don't see it in one thing necessarily, but then you highlight it somewhere else. It's like, whoa, like, and I, I think, I mean, I, my last team sport experience, you know, not track, but like was high school basketball. And I wonder what would happen if I looked at that now or like through your lens, you know, and, and being purposeful and fun and rank record and publish. It's almost like these are, you could almost do like a universal book out of it really in some regards, like that could apply for a lot of things. 
you know, so yeah, yeah. I even, uh, there, there was a guy that uh, speaks to businesses that have talked to me about uh, tailoring my entire feed the cats talk towards businesses, you know, and, and it sounds weird that, you know, you try to do less and do it better, but maybe that is a good message for everybody, you know, and, and, and be purposeful and, you know, instead of filling two hours, if you can get it done in 45 minutes, you do it and go home, you know? So, uh, so yeah, I think it, I think it fits everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the personal development stuff I always, I'm listening to it. They just talk, the common theme is just like living life with the brakes off, like take the brakes off, you know, like all the stuff that takes the willpower and all the grind and you know, that that stuff isn't bad to do every now and then, but it's like, if you're busting that out constantly, like that's so glorified, like in life and in, uh, sport, yeah. you know, it just doesn't, eventually you will run into a roadblock. Like, and that's why I think it's easy to like for, for athletes to peak out and track or, you know, swimming or whatever, like you peak out at a particular level because you just like were hyper volumized and eventually it's just, I think people can be successful. It's just, when are you going to not, when is it going to hit you? You know, <laughs> when right. is it going to get you? It will hit you too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the grind is, 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 is not the right religion for people. I mean, instead we need to find things that we love and get really good at it. Yeah. And, and yeah. Yeah. Pretty simple. Oh yeah. I could not agree more. <laughs> so cool. Well, hey, I think we talked about this one all day, but, uh, let's, I'll get on to the next question. I, I love that stuff though, Tony, man. I just think it makes sense on, at every level. So, um, but one of the things I wanted to get to this time is, and I always do this at TFC. So I wanted to, to bring it up because you wrote a killer article on, um, the TFC blog. Uh, not too long ago about your experience with the bigger, faster, stronger program, um, sprinters and weights. Cause I think a lot of people would hear you say, you know, we don't lift and, and this and be like, Oh, well, Tony's clearly never, you know, been through, you know, this himself. He just, is he's just at the mercy of all these football coaches with these insane programs. And maybe, you know, maybe you are like, but, but, you know, I think there may be certain assumptions people have. So if you could maybe just talk a little about that article and the bigger, faster, stronger, your experience there and, and then yeah. how that fits into now. Yeah, I think the lifting thing is uh, I am very misunderstood because I, I think I, I think I get kind of hyperbolic sometimes about my anti, you know, I'll post a picture of a of a big, huge bodybuilder with veins sticking out and, and say how stupid lifting is for sprinters. You know, like this guy would never win a race in his life, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I realize I'm going rabbit hunting with a buffalo gun a little bit too often there. But it, it makes, I, I'm trying to make a big point. But I do believe in strength. Um, I just don't think it's the be all end all. And, ha you know, my, my football players are all going to lift after practice every day. And my non-football players typically don't, and I encourage them to do 100 push-ups a day because I tell them that, you know, looking frail is no way to live your life. And, um, and so I do like strength. I just don't notice a difference between the kids who lift and they're sprinting and the kids that don't lift and they're sprinting. If I saw a difference, I would change my mind. Now, I'm not telling kids not to lift. I think football players have to because it's a collision sport and you have to have size and, and you have to not break bones when you get tackled and all that kind of stuff. Um, I do have a problem with a lot of weight room. Um, it's, it's like a religion, you know, the fact that, you know, they posterize everything, you know, champions are made in the weight room, blah, blah, blah. And what I see 
people running, this is really going to piss people off, but that's all right. It's okay to piss people off. I see uh, way too many, maybe 80, 90% of all strength conditioning coaches, not you, of course, but um, uh, being basically guys that have never won a race in their life. And I'm not making fun of them. I'm just saying that they found no joy in sprinting. And uh, they're probably jealous of cats being lazy and, you know, I work hard and they don't and they score all the touchdowns. And so they found the weight room and they found adaptations and they started looking better and uh, they found meaning and all those things in the weight room. So they got attached and now they're working in a weight room and telling kids that champions are built in the weight room. And then the other group of guys in your profession are the pretty boys, you know, that are the bodybuilders and, you know, I, the godfathers of strength conditioning were pretty boys. They were bodybuilders. I mean, Boyd Epley was a bodybuilder. And and uh, and so I just see it all the time. These, these guys talk about functional strength. They talk about being speed-based and all this stuff. And then they'll go pose on a magazine. I mean, literally, they will pose on a magazine and they'll post that in their office or in their in their weight room. And, and so there's just a lot of that stuff that goes on. But um, getting to the BFS stuff, uh, when I was in charge of a weight room uh, about 20 years ago, by the time I started feeding the cats, and basically what I saw in the weight room was that when I look back, we were microdosing. We, we were lifting three times a week. We would lift for 45 minutes. And then we would record on a clipboard a guy's best effort. Um, doing, let's see, I think we had six things, like bench, squat, clean, deadlift, and then we did three sets of pull-ups and add, add them all together, three sets of dips, add them all together. And we would rank, record, rank, and publish those things, and we would repeat those things every week, and so we would see improvement. Kids really took uh, pride in, hey, coach, I, I, I just did, you know, 50 more pounds on my deadlift. This is incredible, you know, stuff like that. So, the record rank published thing um, really, in my mind, kind of came from BFS. And I didn't love everything in the BFS. We definitely tweaked everything. They didn't keep their own book. I'd much rather have everything on my own clipboard, all those things. But we had great success during those years. And looking back, um, I, I think we did a lot of things right in the weight room. The big thing is when you microdose, you never ruin the next day. And, and, and that is so important to feed the cats is that nothing we do today can ruin tomorrow's workout. If tomorrow's important, you cannot burn the steak today. You just cannot do it. Now, people say, well, your lactate workouts, I see pictures of lactate war zone and people are in the fetal position and throwing up and they look like they're dead, look like a bomb went off in the middle of your team or something. And they're absolutely right. And I say in our lactate workouts, we have a 48 hour hangover. So we never practice the next day or we do it on Friday and take Saturday and Sunday off. So we are not ruining our next day. So when we microdose in the weight room, like we did during my years when I ran it, uh, we would lift, but we would not lift to soreness. And one of the things Charlie Francis said, I don't know if you've heard this, that, um, you know, he said the athletes should never be sore from training. Yeah, I've, always said, I've always said, I don't want to train a sore athlete. Uh, but I've never heard that athletes should never be sore from training. That to me just screams you got a microdose. You you got to realize that um, that everything's a poison. 
you know, and mm-hmm. the small doses uh, uh, stimulate, and medium doses uh, 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 inhibit, and you know, and big doses kill, you know, and and so if you start seeing everything like that, you keep your kids happy, healthy, and they're good the next day. You accept small gains. Um, in my presentations now, I tell people that I used to go to a casino with a hundred bucks and I'd try to turn it into a thousand and I'd always lose my ass, you know, that, that's just not a good way to do it. But every gambler, that craps table is always my favorite. And every gambler is up 30 or 40 bucks, 30%, whatever, at some time during a session, you just need to walk out when you have a small gain. Uh, gamblers don't like to do that, but but that's the way I think you have to coach. You have to accept small gains and not try to do it all every day. And I think I don't know what percent what what percent of coaches try to do everything every day. Eighty, ninety, yeah. it's crazy. So yeah, I uh, uh, I also think uh, I've always said this. I was always afraid to say it publicly, but I heard your. Uh, your conversation with David Weck and uh, and he talked about how natural strength was better than artificial strength yes the people that uh, with artificial strength um, uh, get clunky I'm like hell yeah I've said that for <laughs> so long and every time I say that you know some meathead weightlifter guy wants to wring my neck you know like no strength is strength you know you cannot differentiate and then I hear you talk about how you see speed as a combination of, of joints and fascia and nerves and, and muscles and I would throw in dopamine too and and when you start talking like that all of a sudden muscles are like just one of the five yeah. so I think muscles are totally overrated I think that slow guys run with their muscles more than fast guys David Weck talked about the bones being slightly bendable which is like the bow uh, um, of a bow and bow and arrow and that's why even though you can get stronger into your 40s you can't get faster yeah it's stronger but you can't get faster because your bones are set by that time so when i watch marcel's run now i'm like he's not just running with his muscles he's running with a combination of many different things and if he doubled the size of his muscles he'd be slower there's no doubt in my mind yeah Oh, hundred percent. And it's the athletes. It's like, if we started to look at it, I mean, you know, it's like we have human nature has this need to just quantify and put a number on every single thing, you know, and like if we could quantify the, the output of the muscles and the bones and the fashion, the tendons and the electrical system, and it's like you start to see the results of a hypertrophy based, you know, strength program and this this muscle is going out of whack. Like that's what people get hurt a lot of times, you know, the muscle, there's too much muscle in the oh, yeah. There, there, there's muscle when it shouldn't be there. It should be tendon, elastic spring, and there's muscle there instead. And it's like, yes, you're going so and fast. I've said that before. That's another thing that pisses people off. When you say that, uh, when weight room people say, yeah, we lift weights to prevent injury. Okay, with collision sports, I can understand that. Yeah. But then I say, I think the weight room causes a bunch of soft tissue injuries for sprinters. They're like, oh, no way. They're more. And, <laughs> and any type of, of imbalance. Any maybe if the muscle is too big for the fascia, you know, anything like that can cause something to go wrong. If if one muscle is, is working too hard, yeah. So all that stuff. And and you've heard this story before, but being a high jumper, 
this is important. I had a I had a high jumper named Damon Lampley in 1995. They went over seven foot 13 different times his senior year. It's an interesting one of the interesting things that I learned though is that he might have been a great jumper because he missed 28 practices. <laughs> he missed 28 practices because he started in center field 28 games for the baseball team. And as you know, too much jumping is the worst thing that a jumper can do. Yes. Well, uh, one time he had just cleared seven foot and the bar was going to seven one. And I was talking to him. He said, can you imagine when I finally get some professional coaching at Iowa State, how high I will jump? I said, yeah, you'll probably go like eight six. You know, whatever, you know, walked away. And uh, sure enough, he goes full ride scholarship to Iowa State, five years, and his PR was 6'11". Happens all the time. People say, what what happened? Well, first of all, they said, no more basketball. We don't want to risk injury. He was a 1064 sprinter, and they said, "Uh, we we have enough sprinters. We don't need you on the 4 by one And the third thing is, they started doing Olympic lifts with him, and he got really good at cleaning. And, you know, I, I think the thing that people improve when they clean a lot is their cleans you know they just get better at cleaning and they also put on about 10 pounds he really looked good um but he wasn't a 7-2 high jumper anymore so um it's just you just cannot make blanket statements i'm not making a blanket statement that lifting is wrong but but those people that act like the weight room is the be-all end-all they are wrong you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, it's. I like that you said even the Olympic lifting thing too. Well, and basketball. Yeah, any athlete, especially jumps, but but any you know any event. It seems like high jump seems to be one of the main ones, just maybe because of power to weight. You know, like any pound you put on, you got to take with you. And it's like, well, Olympic lifting, you're going to put some mass on your spinal erectors and your traps because that has to support the hinging action. And you know, it's. And one thing, it was funny because my, my PR year, uh, when I jumped, um, my sophomore year, I, I, I cleaned 245 and jumped 6'8". The next year, I didn't put as much of an emphasis on cleans. I'm like, it was a lot of different things, a lot of different things. I, I can't really just pin one down. But like, I was doing way more sprinting, competitive sprinting too, with like the sprinters. <laughs> that was a big one. But I wasn't paying as much attention to my cleans. I remember we were maxing out in December. And I was running like 200 pounds was on the bar and I could barely do it. Like, it's like I had forgotten how, but I jumped seven foot that year. <laughs> so, there you go. Yeah. There you go. So it, you sure can't draw a direct line. Yeah. Like the, the more you clean, the higher you jump. It just, but I, I think there are, there are meatheads out there that they want to say those things and that's not right. Yeah. Just specificity is so, I mean, it's like, and the more I learn about biomechanics, it's cool. Cause it's like, okay, well, like, it's like, oh, this clean isn't helping you. Maybe this clean is, you know, like, like keep doing it like that. But it's just to draw, to draw the distinctions. It's not easy. And everyone just will want to err on the side of more, more strength and do everything. Like you said, do everything all the time and make sure it's like a basketball, we play basketball. Like that's pretty darn good way of train jumping. So anyways, <laughs> basketball's the best. Yeah. It's awesome. Duncan of volleyball was our number one workout for Damon. Yeah, because it's absolutely. so damn aggressive. I, I just and as soon as he get a little tired, it's okay. You're done. He might dunk eight times, and go home. Yeah. that's a great workout for a, for a high school uh, or any type of high jumper. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, playing basketball uh, back when I was coaching at Wilmington College, we had a guy who he eventually won uh, nationals. But it's like, and I've seen enough this happen enough times where like in Division three, where it's not like Division one, where it's like you're a married to your sport, like which is kind of like I mean, it is what it is. But like Division three, you get a lot of still multi-sport. We had a basketball guy who basically could just roll out, roll off the basketball court, and just be getting. I mean, 
his technique wasn't very good, but the highest he was jumping was always – it's always right after basketball season. For and sure. Then, and then always. Do, yeah. And they'll, they'll go out in the first meet and go 6'8", and, and they'll go 6'2 at the end of the year. Yeah, all the time. They jump too much. They jump too much. They get overcoached, and yeah. yeah. And they might even be doing 10 times 200. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 okay. Come do track. Let's run eight or ten two hundreds. Let's just do high jumping, and that's the only kind of jumping you're doing. And let's lift weights. And it's like, you, you know, it's like you can't. And that's why you jump six two at the end. And and to me, that's always just been this awesome experiment in in motor learning and variability, different types of jumps and play and fun and and elasticity. I mean, I I would you know I, I think there's a time and place for every training modality, but it's like as soon as you throw fun and play out the window, like yeah, the high jumper at Wilmington, I would let him play you know he was still like it's like oh it's basketball he needs to do open gym a couple times a week i was like yeah go play dude like i, I want you to play like yeah, <laughs> i want you I to do this agree. and it, i think it worked out pretty well for him eventually won a national championship after i left i don't know if that's a good or a bad thing for me but <laughs> he uh <laughs> he's a beast uh and and um i think he had a really yeah, good experience with that so anyways uh oh i like something you said i wanted to go back to you said um you can't go through life frail right like even if you don't lift like do 100 push-ups right and i mean i don't want to get i guess into a talk about like you know this this lift and that lift i mean we all know i think the flaws of like a power lifting max driven system and it's it does have shortcomings with with sprinters and, and cats especially elite sprinters for sure um but i do love that you can't go through life frail because i've realized no matter who i'm coaching swimmers track whatever just confidence and just feeling strong and, and looking sure. at yourself in the mirror and having that confidence is like, it's just a massive part of it. You cannot like dismiss that whatsoever. I, I like, I like that term that you said. Yeah. There. yeah. I mean, I, 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 with my freshman foot, football team every year, I, I would tell them on the first day, I say, I, I want you to do a hundred pushups a day for a hundred days. And I said, I'd say, how many are you going to do that? They all raise their hand. Like, well, that's bullshit. About five of you are going to rate. Only about five of you are going to do it. But but for those five who, who will do it, I'm glad I just said this. If, if you do 100 push-ups a day for 100 days, you will change your life. You will feel different. And uh, and I think maybe 10 of them probably did it every year because I called them out on it. And, uh, and they'd come and tell me, Coach, it's unbelievable how much stronger I am, how much better I feel. And who knows, maybe there's a hormonal effect to that. That, that's important in growth and everything so so yeah i am not against strength at all yeah i think it's yeah it's just easy to yeah and, and to draw to make to to create the stories and the context that help people see the shortcoming of things like a bodybuilding driven program for for athletes you know like it's it's important to draw those i you, what you're saying actually reminded me of a story I, I i feel like i learn a lot of things from the swim world these days uh just because that's where i spend a lot of my time in the physical prep of that and like and um, there was, I don't, I don't work with this guy. I don't coach him. I just know of his story, but there's a system coming up in swimming now. It's kind of like, I guess, feed the cats in swimming. It's called USRPT or US race pace training, whereas swimming is a huge endurance, you know, traditional, like insane amounts of, it would make the yep. worst, it would make Clyde Hart's most crazy workout look like a, a little kid, kitten workout. It's, it's, I've heard it's like Clyde Hart on steroids. It, it, it is like the traditionally, like, and, and it's good to see a lot of pro progressive programs who are changing that paradigm. And, and I think that's a big reason we're seeing a lot. The swim records are getting broken really fast. Um, and I, I don't know if swimming had the same you know, steroid deal in the eighties as, as track or whatever, but, um, that's kind of anyway. So there's a program that's kind of taking that on. Like you need to train at the, your race pace, but it's like it's really early, and I think it has a lot of kinks to be worked out, or so I hear. You know, because it's like it's just kind of get getting this down. But one of the big tenets is no no weightlifting. So no, I don't even know if there's any like dry land. Like it's like no weightlifting, no dry land. Everything is race pace. They're trying to kind of carve out this system in swimming, 
And uh, the poster boy for this is a guy named Michael Andrew who went pro at like age 16. And the swimmers mature, or they get fast younger. And so he got offered these, the, all this pro stuff. Or the, and so he didn't go to college. And so I can't say I know 100% his training, but last year was his total breakout year. So he, at the national championships, just kicked ass. I mean, he threw down at about age 18, 19. He's like, oh, yeah, this is the first year I started doing dry land. He's like, I just started doing some push-ups and stuff. And it's like, you don't want to be able to block so skinny, you know, like you'd imagine just like <laughs> the psychology of that, right? Like it's, I, right. I, I was thinking it's like, yeah, I, I, I don't know his training. I do not, I'm not inside that program, but I would be willing to bet that just doing pushups and getting strong and feeling stronger and the basic adaptations, the mental adaptations played a big role in uh, what he was doing. So I thought it was kind of cool what you said there. Um, awesome. Uh, so bigger, faster, stronger though. So this is one of the things I really wanted to get to. Uh, we were talking, you were talking about that idea of constant PRs and yeah. in the bigger, faster, stronger program, it's like set up so that you can set a PR all the time. You know, you, you set your tenor at PR, your PR, your six, whatever PR you did. Um, and you were talking about doing that a little bit more with sprinting on the sprinting side of things and how you set up feed the cats. And if you'd like to uh, share a little bit about that, um, and your recent experience there. Yeah, in the article, you know, I talked about my BFS things, and you know, for people who don't know what BFS did, um, I, I didn't copy this exactly, but it's brilliant. They did four four different weeks, and then they would redo that four week cycle. And so, four weeks after you benched, uh, you would PR again, and then you'd do a towel bench where you put a towel on your chest. You wouldn't have to go down as far and you'd PR on that. And so kids were breaking records, you know, like, Hey, you could break like 17 records a week or something. It was crazy. And, and that kind of coincided with me seeing a, 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 a local legend here. He's in the hall of fame guy named Al Carius from um, North central college. Yeah. He's a distance coach. And I think the first time I ever heard the, the, the term PR, was from Al Carius, who had a, a slogan, a model, like uh, he'd say, run for fun in PRs. That's that's what they did. And and I started, I think then, it's about 25 years ago, I started valuing the whole PR thing, and that way you can reward all your kids. So now what I've done is kind of combine, you know, both things, the Al Carius thing and the BFS thing. So we do like seven different metrics now, and we call it the speed cycle. Uh, one metric is we run the 40-yard dash. We're timing the 40, obviously, and we do that. The 40 is so important. Uh, obviously, you have the acceleration phase, and you also have a max, max speed phase. So it's a really good run, but you also really connect with the football program. And any track program that does not connect with the football program is a bad track program. So we do the 40, but we also time the final 10 meters with free lap. Um, so we're getting that max speed metric as well. And we're also teaching people when we do that to really run through the finish line instead of to the finish line. My, those kids are going at absolutely their top speed when they cross the finish line, which track coaches constantly harp about. I don't have to because we do it. Uh, we do a 10-yard we do a 10 yard fly and everybody's wanting to know all the time, like what's the run in? And it's a no brainer to me. You are working max speed. So if you limit the run in, then you're working on acceleration. Max speed is the Holy grail. Acceleration is dependent on max speed. The faster max speed, the faster acceleration. So everything has to be about max speed. So we do a 10 yard fly 
easily measured because those are the boy hurdle marks on a track. So, um, and you know, Marcellus goes about 35 meter run in. I'd say the average track sprinter needs only about 25 to 30. Um, Usain Bolt would probably need 45. The faster you are, the more run in you require to get to top speed. And then we do a, uh, a 20 yard competition fly where we put free lap chips on the uh, waistband of two guys. We don't have to say go or anything. They just do a big run in and they are competing through those two cones. And that's the only time, by the way, that we ever run uh, competitive. All of our other runs, all of them are always solo. And I think that's important because I think if you compete too much, uh, kids are thinking about competition instead of mechanics or or, you know, I think you got to focus on yourself to be a good sprinter. Uh, we compete enough. And then um, we do a gauntlet 40 where we have everybody line the track and raise hell. And our kids run uh, through a gauntlet of cheering friends. Um, and, and we time that. And we only do the gauntlet a couple times a year. Uh, but, but when we do, we average between 60 and 65% PRs. Um, now, you can't do that every day because then you'd lose the effect. But, uh, but uh, encouragement and love and excitement has a lot to do with performance. I think everybody kind of, kind of knew that. But I have the data that shows it absolutely freaky improves performance. Um, the other two we do are not sub-max. We do a 15-yard block start into a 10-yard fly free lap cones on the first and second boys hurdle mark and uh and we're working on block starts and the faster you are through that 10 meter fly we assume that the guy is getting out of the blocks pretty pretty well we also video every time we come out of the blocks and then the last thing we do is something i got from a coach in ohio where we do a 10 meter run in to a 20 meter exchange zone because of the specificity of a relay guy, four by one, four by two, um, getting exactly 10 meters to get to as good a speed as he possibly can and hopefully be totally maxed out by the time he gets the baton late in the zone. So we're uh, both of those, those last two though, um, they may be going max speed at the end, but we're not truly measuring a max speed because they are not quite there yet because we've limited the run in. But we think both of those are kind of track specific, and we we like those as well. Yeah, I, I I'd seen you do the the, uh, the ten meter, the 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 twenty with the ten meter in, and I, I was kind of wondering like where that came from. But yeah, the relay start makes perfect sense. Like I yeah. that makes I understand that. Uh, and you know, a lot of times coaches do not work with their kids on on driving out of that position. You know that 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 is absolutely a push 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 drive phase getting into the zone and you know I, I watch so many poorly coached girls teams where they like tippy toe for 10 meters in, in you don't tippy toe i mean you've got to be 45 degrees and just seeing the track and drive 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 and so instead of just talking about it we actually do it and then measure it and with those seven metrics um we get to break records all the time and, and we celebrate that. What's amazing is not only do my kids never forget their spikes. I remember a, a Jamaican coach 
I saw Maurice Wilson, I think it was his name, was so proud that all the young kids in Jamaica and track are carrying water bottles. You know, that's that's great. You know, that's something you really want. Well, all my kids carry spikes. You know, they, they have spikes on their backpack going from class to class because they never want to forget their spikes because we measure things. And, you know, they, they don't want to be uh, run the slowest time on the team because they got their soft shoes on. They always want to have their spikes. So, um, so yeah, it's all about setting records. And every single time our kids go through, um, whether it's a fly or whatever, um, they'll either curse or celebrate. <laughs> that's what cats do. They care, you know. And, and I think people that visit me and, and see that happening, they start to see why it's so powerful to, uh, to time kids in practice. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, it just ignites the mind, and it makes it makes the whole athlete. You know, you talk about like the love, and the community, and like, you know, it, we don't exist in isolation. Like athletes aren't, you know, machines that are just you know input training, output results. Like there's other very powerful factors, and that's one thing I really learned from you. And it's almost like that environment in the weight room too. You know, like where you see the football team and everyone's around the guy maxing out, and you know, big, you know. It's like, what if we took all that emotional energy for a lift and put it into a sprint? Like, that'd be pretty cool. That's what you're doing with the gauntlet. Yeah. That's what we're doing. Yeah. Exactly. The one thing we're not doing, we're not slapping the kid in the face. Oh. And that squat, that, that's, that was my favorite video from a couple of years ago. Is that, is the, that the next face week? slap to motivate that kid to squat more. <laughs> Enough said about weight rooms. Oh, I, I picture, I can see it in my head. It's that, 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 that um, is definitely playing in my head right now. It's like, <laughs> it was like it was like the it was like where's the coach i don't even know if i saw any coaches it looked like it was just a bunch of kids like it was like lord of the flies or something it just like slapped what, what was crazy though yeah. is that was that was on some major website yeah it was a good team too Acting like it was the most real quote unquote the most real weight room video of the year acting like this is what this is why they're so great is because they have this type of culture in the weight room and they're actually showing one kid slapping another kid during a squat and it just yeah and that's why i yeah that's why i guess i'm a sprint coach yeah <laughs> that's a that that quote will be in the um in the show notes for sure there tony <laughs> <laughs> um, um one thing you said i, I like this is and, and you've talked about this a lot in tfc and it's like i've heard it but maybe through some years of digesting i feel like it takes me a few years to digest some ideas sometimes but like like competing competing versus non-competing in practice right like i know there's track and field constructs where there's a lot of competing um and then you know you're talking about running a lot of solo stuff and i and it makes me think about even my own like upbringing track the best years i did we i would do competitive acceleration from like a variety of starting positions once or twice a week and then and then everything else is pretty much on my own you know but like it's almost like there's a ratio you know like because if you if it's always competitive one of the things you said that uh, will forever stick out to me is uh, the idea of the 10 meter fly or 10 yard fly like your athletes um it, it's almost like you said it's almost like you could see them trying things like they're you could see in their minds like they're trying something new to, to run a little bit faster and it's like it's like not only is there cues but they're like owning that process themselves like they're taking it themselves to own the process to get faster and it's almost like when you're competing you can't really own that process of okay what what what's going to work this time what's not going to work this time and like you i see it in swimming a lot because swimmers spend a lot of time looking at the black line at the bottom of the pool and not being social and you're locked in it's like and you can tell they've spent a lot of time like like going over different parts of their stroke how does this part feel how does that part feel it's like just that time by yourself you know it's it's 
So just like the different ratios, like competitive and then time by yourself to process. I, yep. it, it finally made sense to me is what I'm trying to say. And I think you can do both because, see, if, if you're timing a kid, they will be competitive against their time. Yeah. So they're not – and one of the great things about running solo is that a kid never gets beat. Yeah, that's getting true. Beat, yeah. Getting beat is not a performance enhancer. I mean, we – you know, all these people say, yeah, get, getting beat motivated me. Uh, bullshit. You know, motivation comes. I don't know if you read the book Motivation Myth by Jeff Hayden, but you know, basically he says that we don't get motivated and then do great things. Instead, we we start something and we start to get some positive feedback. Some good things happen and we get the dopamine hit. Yes. And that's what creates the motivation. So that has to happen first. And when you take losing away from a kid in training but still keep it competitive. And like you say, there's not many things you can try to do different. You can pick up your knees a little higher. You can increase your stride, decrease your stride. Um, you can loosen up your face, and or you can be more technical with your arms. There's not a whole lot of things, but my kids try them all. They, they try a, a, a longer, uh, <laughs> I heard somebody say the other day that all their kids try to start running fast when they hit the cone. And, well, my kids, we time so much that my kids know that you want to get back as far as you can without being tired by the time you get there. So all those things start to almost coach yourself. And one of my favorite quotes, of course, is that a great teacher teaches himself out of a job, that that the kids start learning how to build their own house. Yeah. And, and they then they thrive. Yeah, I love that. I, I love I, it. Yeah. I, sorry, I was like, I'm so excited, like interrupted. <laughs> I, I was gonna say, yeah, it's like the the best. It's almost like there's that that moment a coach gets away from this is the athlete I built to the athlete that I basically I gave you the environment, I helped give you the environment to allow you the thing that was awesome inside of you manifests itself. Well, I right. taught you to. That's always something that I see that across the board with 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 awesome coaches, and so it's it's cool to hear you say the same thing. You know, it's it's just like this resonating factor. Uh, so I feel like I need to, let's see, I need to ask you, uh, oh, uh, result like, oh, and that was the, um, what you said there about getting beat. Like that reminded me too of, uh, it was a research or something I saw with people who watch sports. They have their pro sports team. Like I love the Ohio State Buckeyes. I love this team. And if your team loses, your dopamine goes down. And I think your testosterone goes down. Like it, I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so maybe that's why I don't watch pro sports too. Cause I don't want to deal with that wave. Like, you know, that, all, <laughs> that other stuff, maybe dictate that i remember like when i was in college there was a lot of ohio state fans where i was i'm from wisconsin but like some people would be bummed out like all day like all day they would just be like dragging around like because the if the buckeyes lost it was like yeah it's like yeah and that's no way to live yeah no i and i was being me i was such a button pusher i would just try to like poke at them too i was i was kind of torturous like <laughs> if the if their team lost but i i uh but i could see that totally you know in getting beat i mean i think you know i mean on some i think maybe for some people on some level maybe it could be but i could definitely see you know it happens enough times and, and you just like i can definitely see um i can definitely see that edge of it for sure uh, it's it's just always looking at psychology in a different way right like um 
So, uh, yeah, I figure I get I should probably uh, wrap this up with just one more chat or one more uh, question for you. And uh, one of the things you've always done that's intrigued me is the X Factor workouts. And, you know, that's where like that variety comes in, you know, that variety kind of plyometric style day. Um, anything recently that you've become a fan of, you notice any sort of like transfer or fun aspect to that, that um, you're kind of sticking with any themes that are commonly sticking with you out of X Factor? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, first of all, our X Factor stuff, you know, I tell people that that basically we feel like we can only sprint two or three times a week. No more than that. Um, you know, I used to think three or four. Now I'm thinking two or three. Uh, you know, a core fist, I think, thinks more like two, you know. And, and, and so, you, you know, I feel like if we only practice two or three times a week, people would talk more than they already talk, you know. You know, we already go home after a 40-minute workout and, our distance kids are just getting done with their warm up at that time. And so it's hard enough to be a feed the cats program, but so we feel like let's say we sprint on Monday and Wednesday, we need to do something on Tuesday and Thursday, but we don't want to sprint, but we don't want to waste time. And we, we want to do something that we might have a hunch that is, that will help sprinters. And there's nothing that we do that I can, that I can say for sure makes you faster, but um, but I, I think there's three things you can do in practice to get faster. That's max speed, mechanics, and then jumping. And so any type of jumping is going to be a part of every X Factor workout, whether it's assisted plyos. I just learned a thing where uh, Jamie Moyer um, uh, talked about doing a, assisted plyos with two guys so that you could actually do one-legged cycles, which is really a great, cool idea. So that that's something new, and that happens to people when, you know, we invite people that are rebel talents uh, to the Track Football Consortium to speak. Um, basically, people who go to the consortium go home with a catalog of X-Factor drills because we have such, you know, such out-of-the-box thinkers and people who train kids in hallways and things like that. So... Um, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, wickets are just getting, I mean, that's not anything new, but I, I think that for a guy that doesn't know anything about sprinting that, that, you know, I could show him what we do in wickets and almost coaches sprinters for you. Um, we don't do them the same way as other people do because we go really, really fast. Uh, and, and we do funky things where we take away the arms and then put them back in the last rep. Uh, but, you know, basically just, you know, we got to bounce every day. We got to bounce. We got to absorb force. Um, we got to do wickets often. Uh, there, there's just constantly, we're doing more Bosch drills, you know, the balancey type things, you know, uh, you know, lifting up to a, uh, to a platform, getting way up on the toe. I need to start doing more ankle rocker stuff. I mean, here, here are my best friends, Chris Corpus. And he's like the world expert on on ankles and toes and things. And we don't do anything at all on that. That's just embarrassing. I'm just lazy. You know, I, I need to start. And that's the perfect X-Factor stuff. You know, no wear and tear on the body. You're doing like toe curls. You know, it's, it's easy. Um, so, no, it's just we're always looking for new stuff. And we'll always have kind of a, um, a set of things that there will never be a week go by where we don't do it those things once uh, but yeah it's a short workout 40 minutes very minimum dose uh and and because we're so minimum dose you know 
I told somebody the other day that we don't have any foot problems, knee problems, hip problems. Uh, we have no shin problems, never had a hip flexor problem. Um, I, I think maybe the no hip flexor problem comes from the fact that we don't do any ab work, no core, no planks. I, I really think that whoever decided that planks uh, were something that everybody should do, um, you know, needs to maybe wonder if that's causing hip flexor problems because we don't do any at all and we have no hip flexor problems. You know, that's not scientific. That's just something that I've noticed. So, so yeah, uh, X factor will always be a, and the thing about having a sprint day, X factor day, and then lactate days during the season, not very many of them is that if you visit a practice, you're going to see one of those three types of practices, the cat categorizing practices and those, and those three allow me to to uh, program and sequence um, uh, very simply. You know, it's all okay. We're going to do a lactate workout on Monday because we have a meet on Saturday. We're going to take Tuesday off. Okay, now we're going to have a speed day next day and a speed. So anyway, we uh, uh, we're able to really sequence things easily by dividing our practices up like that. Awesome. Awesome stuff, Tony. Um, one really quick question before uh, our time's up, and that's uh, well, the 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 kind of applying that bigger, faster, stronger program throughout the late fall. Uh, what's your take on that? Like, do you feel like that was really beneficial, like to, to sprinting? Like, do you feel like that was a that was something that really is going to pay dividends, like compared to kind of what you've done in the past, uh, like mixing it up, PRing more often? Like, what was your take on how that shook out? I I think um, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I think that anytime kids uh, have encouraging things going, like we talked about Jeff Hayden's motivation myth and all that stuff, anytime you get that hit of dopamine, uh, that that hit of dopamine, and of course we don't get enough dopamine in the cold weather states, like you guys are dopamine addicts out in California, but uh, but no, we live in cloudy cold. It's going to be minus twenty two real um, on on Wednesday. Yeah, we're gonna set we're gonna set records. Um, it's gonna be fifty five minus fifty five wind chill two days in a row. So yeah, we we don't get much dopamine on those days. <laughs> Low dopamine. So the only way we can get dopamine is by getting sleep and having you know accomplishing small tasks. You know that we're you know we we were successful in something. We we win something. And every time a kid sets a PR, that's a little win. That's a little dopamine, and dopamine, as you know, allows you to move your limbs faster and gives you reckless confidence. Two things that make sprinters fast. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll definitely have to keep an eye on how you guys are doing this season, follow up with you. And uh, I just think that, you know, what you, how you're integrating every element into the training equation, not, not just the workouts, and obviously just not, you know, being appropriate with your workloads is doing tremendous things, but just everything else you put into it, too. Um, I think we can learn an awful lot about, and then also even other transferring that even to life itself. So, uh, cool. that's all the time I think we got for today, but Tony, thank you so much for being on again, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Joe. Love it. Thanks for tuning in for another episode. Appreciate you guys listening, and it is always so good talking to Tony. Glad we brought him back on, and uh, just what a legend to learn from. And I think no matter what coach you are, whether it's track, strength and conditioning, sports performance, you're a team sport coach, a parent, whatever, there is a lot of gold here that is transferable to all elements of sport and life. 
Okay. Uh, also, our sponsor, simplyfaster.com, suppliers of high-end training technology, amazing blog, products, service, and they're doing an awesome job. So please support them as they have been an awesome sponsor for us. If you enjoyed the podcast, uh, head on over to Stitcher, iTunes, leave us a rating or review, and we will see you all next week. Have a good one.